0: You can be seated. It's good to see everybody tonight. Excited to be back for another evening of worship. Appreciate the songs we've been able to sing together, how we've been able to approach God's throne together in prayer. And looking forward to this time of Bible study. I hope that today's been an encouraging day for you as we think about going out into the world this week and. Maybe living around people who don't know Jesus, going to school, going to work, associating with souls that are lost. I hope that today encourages us and equips us to be able to do that in a way that glorifies our God. Bless your heart. It's a phrase that we hear a lot in the South, isn't it? If you weren't from the South and you were to hear somebody use that phrase, bless your heart, you might think that it was something that was really nice something that was really sweet. Oh, wow, that person wants to bless my heart. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so kind? Well, most of us, I would say, are from the South, and we recognize that that phrase is not always used that way. We sometimes use it a little bit mischievously, don't we? I heard a story one time about two actors, a British actor named James Corbin and an American actor from Texas named Patrick Edwards. They were having a conversation one time and James Corbin was talking about his favorite phrase that he heard in the South. It was the phrase, bless your heart. He was telling a story about how he was talking to an, an older southern lady and he was telling her about how he was struggling to park his car. He couldn't get his car into the parking spot backed up, pulled in, backed up, pulled in, did that multiple times and just couldn't get his car into the spot. He said, the southern lady looked at me and said, oh darling, bless your heart. He immediately thought to himself, isn't that beautiful? That that is the sweetest, most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I was in the midst of this difficult situation and, and this older lady wants to bless my heart. Isn't that great? Patrick Edwards, who's from Texas, like I said, had to be the one to end up breaking the news to him that this older lady was not really wanting to bless his heart. Instead, she was saying something more like, You're a grown man. You can't park your car. That's pretty pitiful. That was the, that was the real message. It ended up breaking his heart. He said that he was pretty sad to, to hear that that's what she was actually saying. Sometimes we use this phrase a little bit facetiously in the South, but tonight let's take just a minute to think about how this phrase connects with our Lord, how it connects with what God has done in our lives. Isn't it awesome to know that we serve a God who has quite literally blessed our hearts, a God who... Who has blessed our lives. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Perhaps you remember last week we spent some time introducing the book of Ephesians. Tonight we're going to look at the first major section in this book, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. We find the main idea of this passage of scripture when we look in the very first verse, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, the fact that God has blessed our hearts, the fact that God has blessed our lives. Paul says this, and after his greeting in verses 1 and 2, he begins the body of the letter by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or in other words, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What has God done in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3? As as Paul begins this letter, as as he begins the body of the book of Ephesians, what is the action that God has taken? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What has He done? He is blessed. Blessed. That's the action that God has taken. That's the action that God has done. God, our Father, of our, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has blessed who? Has He blessed all people? Well, no, Paul tells us that He's blessed in this passage, us in Christ. Remember, there are two different kinds of people in the world. There are those who are in Christ, and there are those who are outside of Christ, with baptism being that defining moment. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 or Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 that as people we are baptized into Christ. That's the moment at which we enter into Him. There are those who are inside of Jesus, inside the sphere of His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness, and there are those who are outside of it. God is blessed. God is blessed who? Not all people, but us who are in Christ. What has He blessed us with? Think about how beautiful this is. God, the Father, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We talked about last week how that term heavenly places or literally translated the heavenlies, it refers to the spiritual realm. It refers to the spiritual dimension. And so it's really powerful as Paul begins this letter to say look at God, look at what God has done, Look at who the recipients are. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every single, not just some, but every single spiritual blessing that exists in the spiritual realm, God has given to us who live in Christ. It's the main idea of this passage. It's the idea that Paul begins with as he begins the body of this letter. God has blessed our hearts God has blessed our lives God has blessed us who are in Jesus with every single spiritual blessing that exists but let's go a little bit deeper than that let's get a little bit more specific than that in chapter 1 and verse 3 we find the fact that God has blessed our hearts but how Has God blessed our hearts? He's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. But what does that look like when we read throughout the remainder of this passage? Number one, God has blessed our hearts by choosing us, predestining us. Pick up in verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, verse 5, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. There are some individuals who use those two verses and verses like them in the New Testament to talk about a teaching that's called unconditional election. It's one of the tenets of Calvinism. It's the idea that God has chosen certain people to be saved and He's chosen certain people to be lost. He's chosen certain people to be in Christ and certain individuals to be outside of Christ. And we don't get a decision in that. Whatever group God places me in, well, that's the group that I'm in. God chose me. He predestined me to be in this group and I don't get a say because I'm so sinful. I'm so broken. I'm so depraved. I'm not even capable of making that kind of decision. Do you think that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter one? that God has chosen the people on this side to be saved, and the people on this side to be lost, and it doesn't really matter what you do, you have no say in it. Whatever group God predestines you to is the group you get. think that's what Paul's saying? When you look closely at the text, notice Paul doesn't say that he's predest- that God has chosen or predestined individuals. Paul says that God has chosen or predestined us in Christ. This is not on an individual level. This is on a collective level. What Paul is telling us here is that before the foundation of the world, God chose that He's going to have a group of people who belong to Him. Before this world was here, before any of this was created, God predestined that He's going to have a group of people who are going to be in Christ. A group of people to whom He's going to give every spiritual blessing. Now, if God chose for there to be that kind of group, a group to be saved, a group to have every spiritual blessing, indirectly, He's chosen there's going to be another group. A group that's not going to be saved. A group that's not going to have every spiritual blessing. Now, you and I stand on the outside of that. God has made the decision, there's going to be a group of people who belong to me, and there's going to be a group of people who don't belong to me, and you and I come to a crossroads. We get to choose which group we're going to be in. We get to choose whether or not we're going to respond to God's grace through faith. I remember one time I asked a member of the Lord's church, do you believe in predestination? She said, no, I don't believe in predestination. As Christians, I think we should believe in predestination. It's it's a biblical idea. It's something that Paul mentions twice just in this section of Scripture, but we also need to understand what it is. When we talk about God choosing us or predestining us, it's not God took these individuals and saved them, and He didn't save these individuals, and you don't get a say in it. It's that God has chosen these two groups are going to exist. And you and I, through our own free will, get to decide whether or not we're going to be a part of it. Which group we're going to enter into. How did God do it? How did He make that choice? How did He predestine those things? Paul says, verse 4, He did it in love. Verse 5, towards the end of that verse, He did it according to the purpose of His will. In other words, this is not something God had to do. But it's something God wanted to do. God did not make this choice. He didn't predestine this out of obligation. He did it out of love. A longing for a relationship with His creation. Why did God make that choice? Why did He predestine those things? Well, you look at verse 4. So that we would be holy and blameless before Him. So that we would be set apart so that we would live lives of holiness, so that we would be blameless, literally, before His face. Verse 5, so that we would be adopted into His family as His sons and as His daughters. Number one, God has blessed our hearts by choosing us, predestining us, by His love, by His purpose, so that we will be the people that He wants us to be. Number two, God has blessed our hearts by forgiving us. Continue reading with me in this passage, verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Verse 8, which He lavished upon us. In those three verses, there are three different ideas that all point us towards the same reality. They all point towards the forgiveness that we have received in Christ. Remember, that phrase, in Christ, is one of the key themes of this letter. We've seen it already several times. It's used 23 times throughout the letter. Whenever we're in Christ, we have been forgiven. And Paul says that in three different ways. First, the bookend idea. We see it in verse 6. We see it in the first part of verse 8. We are recipients of God's grace. His unmerited favor. God has given to us the very opposite of what we deserve as people because of our sins, because of the mistakes that we've made, the rebellious decisions that we've involved ourselves in. We deserve nothing short of God's wrath. But what has God done? He's given to us His favor. If you look in verse 6, He has blessed us in the Beloved. With His glorious grace. At the beginning of verse 8, He has lavished His grace on us. The English Standard Version says, it's kind of like the idea of standing under a waterfall. Have you ever done that before? You're standing under the waterfall and it's just continually coming down on top of your head. That's an amazing picture of God's grace. Now, can we step outside of God's grace? You can. Just like you can step out from underneath a waterfall, you can step outside of God's grace. But as Christians, as long as we live under his grace, it's continually being poured out upon us. It's being lavished on us, is the word that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 8. Number two, Paul says that God has redeemed us. We've received redemption. What is redemption? What does it mean to be redeemed? It's the idea of setting something free through a payment of ransom. Back in the first century, they would have been familiar with this word. The slaves in the first century time, in Paul's time, could be set free from their slavery if they were to pay a certain price, if they were to pay a certain payment. And so Paul uses this at the beginning of verse 7 to say, look at what you have in Jesus. In Jesus, we've been set free from our sins. We're no longer under the bondage of our own sinful decisions. Our our Master, we are no longer enslaved by sin. We've been set free with a certain payment. What is that payment? Verse 7, we have redemption how? Through His blood. When you take a minute to look up at the cross... And you see the blood running from Jesus' hands and feet. You see it running from his head where he had the crown of thorns, his back where he was scourged, various places where he was beaten, slapped with the open hand, or punched with the closed fist. When you look at the cross and you see his blood running down the side of that wooden tree and puddling at the foot of it, that's the price that was paid for your redemption. That's the price that was paid to set us free. We have been set free, and the price that was paid, if you go over to 1 Peter 2, was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. And then the third idea, when you continue into verse 7, is that we've been forgiven of our trespasses. We can all look back into our past and remember mistakes that we've made. We can all look back and think about sins that we've committed, maybe sins that we still feel guilty about. What's our standing in Christ? How does God view those sins whenever we're in Jesus? We've been forgiven of our trespasses. Those sins have been completely wiped from God's memory. It's as if they never even happened. It's as if they never even took place. I love the description of forgiveness at the end of Hebrews chapter 8 prophesied in Jeremiah 31 when God says, I will remember your sins no more. Sometimes we feel guilty about sin. And we pray about that sin and we pray about that sin and we pray about that sin. What we don't realize is that once we've been forgiven, God responds to those continual prayers by saying what sin? It's been wiped clean. It's been covered by the blood of the Lamb. God has blessed our hearts, number two, by forgiving us, redeeming us through the blood of Jesus, setting us free through the price that our Lord paid on our behalf. Number three, God has blessed our hearts by revealing His will to us. Pick up there in the last part of verse 8, in all wisdom and insight, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Like we mentioned a few moments ago, from before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. God had a plan for the redemption and the salvation of of mankind. Paul talks about that plan in the verses we just read. It's something that was given in verse 8 in God's wisdom and insight. It's something that He set forth in Christ. God carried out this plan. It's not just something that He dreamed up, but it's something that He actually carried out through Jesus. It's a plan for the fullness of time. A plan that was revealed and, and unveiled and put into place at the exact right moment. It's a plan that has the purpose in verse 10 of uniting all things in Christ. Whether we're talking about things in heaven or whether we're talking about things in earth, here's a plan to bring all of creation under the headship, reign, and rule of King Jesus. As Christians, we know about this plan. This is something that we're able to have a knowledge of. Why? Because God has revealed it to us. Because God has made known to us the mystery of His will for centuries. For hundreds of years in the Old Testament time, this plan was covered up. This plan was veiled. It was hidden. It was a mystery. But now the veil has been removed. The mystery no longer exists because God had made, has made known His plan to us he 's made known His will, according to Ephesians chapter one verses eight through 10 it 's not just a plan that we know about, but it 's a plan that we experience it 's a plan that we 're a part of. We've been chosen, predestined. We've been forgiven. We have a knowledge of God's will. But we also live out God's will on a daily basis. Every day we live, we have a longing. We have an expectation for the day when all things will be united or summed up in Jesus When all creation will be brought under His headship. As Philippians 2 says, when every knee will bow before Him, and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we know that for most it's going to be too late. But as Christians, as those who are in Christ, we live with hope, we live with expectation, we look forward to that day, all because God didn't leave us in the dark. God didn't leave us with a question mark over our heads. He has revealed His will. He has revealed His plan to us. It's actually something we're going to talk more about in Ephesians chapter 3. Whenever we get to Ephesians 3, Paul's going to say, okay, how did God make known this plan? How did He reveal His will? Paul says, when you read my letters, then you'll be be able to understand this plan, this mystery of Jesus. So hold on to that idea. We're going to circle back to it. Number four, God... Has blessed our hearts by giving us an inheritance. Continue in verse 11. In Him, there it is again. In Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. We are God's children, He is our Father. And one day, we're going to receive an inheritance from Him. God has not just blessed our hearts. God has not just blessed our lives in where we are right now. But we find in verse 11, God has even blessed our eternity. Think about how the New Testament talks about this idea of inheritance. In a parallel passage, in Colossians 1 and verse 12, Paul says, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in what? In the inheritance of the saints in life. It's something that we share in. It's the Greek word for fellowship. We're partakers in this inheritance that God is one day going to give to us. Romans 8 16 and 17 says that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we're children of God. And if we're children of God, what are we? We're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. If we're children of God, by default, we're heirs of God. We're going to be those who receive an inheritance from Him. We're fellow heirs with Jesus. One day, we're going to be able to share in His victory. We're going to be able to share in His glory. And then a text we mentioned last week in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's that hope for? Verse 4. To an inheritance. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. In Him we obtained what? An inheritance. We have a living hope. Verse 4. To an inheritance. What's it like? It's imperishable undefiled, unfading, being kept or reserved in heaven for you. God has certainly blessed our hearts. God has certainly blessed our lives as we live here on earth. But He's also blessed our eternity by promising us an inheritance in Jesus. Promising us a home with Him in heaven. And then finally, number five, God has blessed our hearts By sealing us with His promised Holy Spirit. Pick up in verse 13. In Him, can you see how this phrase is continually repeated? In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. In the New Testament time, they had what was called a seal. It was oftentimes made out of pieces of metal or pieces of stone, and it would have a certain engraving on it. The engraving was unique to each family. Their fam- each family would take their seals and put them on the things that belonged to them. they put seals on their houses, on their livestock. Back in this time, they would even put seals on their slaves. So, so, so if you were to come to my house and you were to see my seal... That seal would show you, this house belongs to me. This, these livestock belong to me. You would know that by seeing my seal. In a similar way, Paul says that God has placed His seal on us. You go to 1 Corinthians 6 and you study this idea out a little bit more. We are not our own but we've been bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. He's the One who has taken ownership of us. What does Paul say? Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. My life's not about me. Now it's about living for Him. God has taken ownership of our lives. How do we know it? He's put a seal on us. He's given to us His promised Holy Spirit. We've heard the Word of Truth. We've placed our faith in the gospel of our salvation. And as a result, we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Peter says something similar to that. In Acts two thirty-eight and 39, when he's standing on the day of Pentecost, thousands of Jews hearing his message, they asked him, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. Be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for the promise. What promise? Well, back up just a few words. Repent, be baptized, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That promise of the Spirit is for you, Peter says. It's for your children, and it's for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. All of those who God calls to Himself Those who repent and are baptized for the forgiveness of sins receive the promised Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, He begins to live and indwell inside of us. Ephesians chapter 3 talks about how He empowers us for daily living and ministry. Acts 5.32 says that God gives His Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. God has blessed our hearts by placing His seal on us. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. And we know that our, the Spirit, what we read in Romans 8, the Spirit bears with our spirit that we are children of God. We know that we belong to God because He's given us His promised Holy Spirit. We've heard His Word. We've believed in the Gospel of our salvation. We've repented. We've been baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And as a result, we've been sealed by the Spirit. Notice that the Spirit is not just a seal, though. When you look in verse 14, He's also described as a guarantee of our inheritance. That word guarantee is the idea of a down payment. When you go to buy a house, you put down a down payment. What does that down payment show? It shows that the rest of the money is going to come in the future. God has promised to us, verse 11, this amazing inheritance, but we don't have it yet. Well, how do we know that we're going to receive it one day? Is it just that God has promised me this inheritance way out in the future, all the way into eternity, and right now He's left me with nothing? No, as a down payment, as a guarantee, He's given us His Spirit who empowers us. We have the responsibility to produce His fruit described to us in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. It's an amazing reality. It's a beautiful idea to look at this text and to say, God, the Creator of all things, has blessed our hearts. He's blessed our lives. He's blessed our eternities. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then we get more specific and we talk about how He's chosen us and predestined us. He's forgiven us. He's revealed His will to us. Given us an inheritance. He's sealed us with His Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Isn't it awesome to be a Christian? Isn't being a Christian, isn't living in Jesus the most amazing, beautiful thing that you can imagine? But before we close, let's look at one more question. How should we respond to this? I look at this passage and I see a loving God who wants to bless my life. And when I read this passage as a Christian, whenever I read this passage inside of Jesus, I see all of these spiritual blessings that I've claimed, that I live with every single day. What should my response to that be? Maybe sometimes we're like a vacuum cleaner, we like to suck in all of God's blessings and we never give anything in return. What's the first phrase in Ephesians 1 and verse 3? Blessed be, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch how that idea of praise unfolds in this passage. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of His glory. Verse 16, to the praise of His glory. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So how should we respond to that? God has blessed us. Therefore, we should bless Him. God has blessed our hearts. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing available in the heavenly places. We should respond to that every day that we live in everything that we do, by bringing praise, glory, and honor to the name of our Creator and Savior. When was the last time that you were intentional about that? When was the last time that you set set apart just a few minutes in your day to bless God, to praise Him for how He's blessed you? When was the last time when you were intentional Talking to somebody about God, bragging on God, talking about what God has done in your life, praising Him, not just in what you say, but in what you do before other people, so that people can see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. When was the last time that you did something so small as as driving down the road, maybe going to work, and you took just a few minutes to shut off the radio, to set aside your phone? And to praise God. To bless Him for another day of life. For another breath that you're able to take into your lungs. We get so caught up in ourselves. We get so caught up in our lives. We get so caught up in this fast-paced and busy lifestyle that sometimes we forget about our God throughout the week. And we forget about all of the amazing blessings that He's given to us. God has blessed us. Therefore, we should bless Him. Our lives should be all about giving Him the praise, the honor, and the glory that is due His name. How are you doing with that? Is that something that you're thinking about every day? Is that a part of who you are throughout the week? If you're struggling with it? If right now you're living life outside of Christ? Let us help you as together we stand and sing the song that's been selected.